This is Kadeem Fight, friend, the friend, to the host, and you are now tuned in to Black Matter, the podcast. If you're a white person looking to get invited to the cookout, please hang up and try again. And remember that raisins never belong in potato salad. Lastly, remember to follow these five simple rules to success, as laid out by our good sis, T.S. Madison. Be yourself, bitch. Step your pussy up, honey. Get a job. Own a business. Bitch, suck a dick. All right, we are um, recording an episode of Black Matter again, and I have my friend, homegirl, gay sister, um, Kadeem Pipe. How do you spell your last name? I feel like I never get it <laughs> Nobody right. knows. I just came to, so we're in his New York apartment in what neighborhood? Washington Heights. Washington Heights. Um, and your doorman was like, what apartment are you going to? I was like, Kadeem. He's like, what last name? I was like, Kadeem. <laughs> He's like, how do you spell the last name? I was like, F-Y, Kadeem. <laughs> so mind the noise. We have kind of like the sound palette of New York in the background. Um, I'm glad to have you on my show. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. You know, I could not do anything cool and interesting and black gay centered without you. Because you are the black gay queen that's really pushing the norm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so Black Matter um as it stands right now, I really want this show to really focus on um, Black diversity, but from a place of really highlighting um, Black male identity broadly defined. So Black men who I think are really pushing the norm and we are rejecting the identity of Black manhood that has been sold to us and really thinking about forming that identity for ourselves. Um, I'm not trying to define Black matter because I think that Black matter, Black dimensionality and Black diversity already exists right through us. We're already out here doing it and proving folks wrong that you do not have to be a toxic masculine person to thrive as a black man and so i feel that this show is really just a platform to spotlight girls in the hood that are already doing it like you (laughs) so why don't you tell us a little bit about um what you do where you come from and kind of juxtaposition what you do with um the way you're brought up and where you come from because i think honey you have (laughs) <laughs> you have lived beyond <laughs> Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> Indeed. Yes. And, you know, I think the girls that are listening will know that you and I, um, we are close because we have some similar, you know, experiences and adversities that we've been through. But we also understand each other's struggle, which warrants our hustle. Um, even when we fight and you get on my nerves, and even when we have not talked for a few months, I've always respected your hustle. Um, and I feel you feel the same way about me too, right? Yes. I know. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, um, we're both University of Richmond alums and I will just let you kind of take it and tell us about, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you come from, all the complications of everything you deem. Right. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, so <laughs> proud of you. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, super proud of you on all the things that you're doing, especially this. So, um, my name is Kadeem Fife. Uh, I am a fashion de- designer based in New York. I have worked in the industry for five years now. Um, I'll get to a bit about my professional background in a bit, but, uh, before we met at Richmond. <laughs> University of Richmond. University of Richmond. Uh, yeah. Um, I was raised in North Carolina. Um, what part? Durham, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. For those of you that haven't consulted a map recently, that is where Duke University is. Um, I was raised by a single mother. Um, my family is Jamaican. And 
Uh, so that was like a major influence with me growing up. So growing up as a Jamaican with an extremely religious single mom, but then also um, having a very sort of rich Jamaican uh, cultural background as yeah. sort of my basis. So, um, and then also being raised around like a bunch of racist white people, um, which was interesting because I was raised by someone who um, didn't really accept me for being gay and then had to go to school and deal with kids who didn't accept me for being black. Um, so yes, growing up black and gay in the South was very, um, very difficult, but what it really taught me was how to be resilient. And it um, was a major motivator for me to get out of there because I knew that that was not the place where I was going to achieve any of my dreams. And it wasn't the place where I could really thrive. Like I'm creative, I'm loud, funny and flamboyant. And like, that's just not, Durham, North Carolina is not the place for a boy like me. So I knew that I wanted to get out. And so um, sort of, you know, I've always known that I wanted to work in the arts or in fashion from a really young age. And I just, I mean, for as long as I remember, I just told myself, like, I'm going to be a fashion designer and I'm going to live in New York. And that was just what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Nothing, um, nothing was going to stop me from getting there. Um, and so I just have approached life with a very, very, uh, I you know, my approach has always been, I don't take no for an answer. Like every opportunity, every possibility, the answer is yes. And if I want something, I can go out and get it. Um, anyway, let me... Yeah, I feel like look, a common theme in... Get to now or college? Oh, uh, well, can I end there first? Yeah, yeah. I feel like a common, just so we have a little bit of dialogue. Um, I feel like a common theme in your story, my story, and a lot of other um, queer men's story, and just queer folks in general is that we always, from a very early age, know that we have to plan our lives in a way that means getting out of where we come from. I was also raised, I'm Jamaican and single parent household. Um, mom was homophobic in many aspects. And so everything that I thought of as far as like my dreams, they always existed outside of Connecticut where I grew up. And so talk a little bit about that. Like, did you always know, um, when did you know, like, I'm definitely leaving Durham? Um, and how do you feel now with all the success that you've achieved? Do you feel any pressure to like go back to Durham or? So, uh... I I mean, I always knew that I wanted to get out, but I think the defining moment really was when I um, when I came out to my family. Um, I came out to my mom when I was 13. I was already out at, at school because all the kids knew, and I was like, okay, fine, I'm gay. I was like, yes, you were right. It's fine. We're gonna <laughs> Not you were right. <laughs> I mean, like, they knew before me. I mean, I'm I was like, born gay. <laughs> I have been gay, but I didn't yeah. know, you know. They were calling me a faggot before, were, I, before I Hello, when I arrived, honey. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was like, I'm just sipping my tea. Like, what? Why do you, How was I what gonna... are you calling me? I don't get it. But um, Very true. No, no, no. But when I came out to my mom, um, she was just like, oh my God, it was the worst. But the way that she reacted and sort of like the hate that I felt from that moment moving forward, I was like, I have to get out of here. And like, I knew that the moment that I either turned 18 or went to college, whichever came first, and I went to college at 17. So that was the first thing that happened. And I was like, as soon as college gets here, I'm out. I'm never looking back. Like, she'll be lucky if she gets a Christmas card. Like, I am gone. And it was at that, when I, you know, when you're, a teenager, you're rebellious and you're emotional, da da da. You're just like, I hate everybody, I have to leave, you know. But it wasn't until I was like later on in high school, 16, 
you know, like, okay, these are the actionable steps that I can actually take in order to get out, be, be a productive member of society and actually work towards achieving my dreams rather than just like running away, which is a thought many times like, oh, I'm just going to run away from here. But it's like, when you run away, where are you going? You know? But Durham yeah. is, you know, I, I read a lot of E. Patrick Johnson, who talks yeah, yeah, about yeah, like yeah. queerness yeah. and blackness are existing simultaneously and cannot be separated. Sure. And so even though Durham is very Southern and definitely, you know, very uh, homophobic because sure. of how that culture kind of manifests, um, talk about like, like, we know that there is queerness in Durham, you know, there's yes. queer, there are queer spaces, there are gay black men, like, do you ever feel kind of like culturally bound to any parts of the culture of Southerness? No. Um, and your queerness being connected, or you feel like Durham is just a place where it wasn't a pleasant childhood, so it, you're out? Because I don't feel, I, I mean, Connecticut's very queer as far as sure. like gay marriage. Was, well, I mean, Durham does have a queer scene and there's a thriving art scene now, but I was yeah. never really a part of that or like allowed to be part of that. Um, and when I, so... I was a part of it before I came out because yeah. my mom was like, oh, my kid is creative. Like, put him in all the visual arts and all the performing arts. That's fine. But then when it became, oh, my child is gay, then it was like, okay, well, well, wait, did all of the arts make him gay? And obviously that's a load of bullshit. But, you know, now looking back, I don't have anything positive to look back at in Durham. There's nothing there yeah. for me. That's Perhaps I could go I back and create something. But yeah. right now, no. And I... um yeah, no, um, just not for me, not where I, I am. I feel the same way about Connecticut. And I think that all of us, um, definitely queer folks of color, we really experience this kind of like uh, complicated relationship with space. And I think there is this conditioning, though, that like you will thrive if you come to the bigger metropolitan sure. cities like New York. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there's like something happening where these like tier two cities, Durham, Richmond, sure. you know, Portland, they're also becoming like on and popping. And so that's why I asked the question of like, mm. do you ever feel this obligation that like after you feel like you've done all you can in New York? I don't even know if that's ever possible. Right. Do you think <laughs> that like you would try out a, t a tier two? City? Yes, yes, yes. So that is something I wanted to say. I absolutely believe in giving back. I am a firm believer that it's never too early to start giving back and you should always pay it forward. So yeah. since Durham is the place that created me somehow, <laughs> I want to go back and give, you know, if that means speaking at a high school or speaking at two middle school students or whatever are going back and running, um, you know, an art clinic or something. I definitely want to get back in some way, but I want to have achieved all the success that I said that I was going to before I go back. Yeah. Um, so like, I you know, Durham, shady shout out to Durham. We love you. Hello. Whatever. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the story of how we met. Oh, <laughs> Hashtag <please>. bitch. <laughs> you didn't like me. I didn't like you. And now we're here <laughs> in your New York apartment. Oh my goodness. She's thriving. Um, yes. <laughs> oh God. How did we meet? Ooh. Uh, well, we... I saw you from a distance, <laughs> a very comfortable and you distance. Wondered, is her lashes real or fake? No, I mean, <laughs> you were older than me, um, and, and there's shape there too. And there was, and I was like, okay, well, there are not that many black people here. You know, Richmond's a PWI, and I was like, okay, I'm new here. I have to like seek out my community somehow, and I like remember seeing you with a group of, you were part of a group of three black guys. Um, and I thought all of them, all of you were gay, but I did some, you know, <laughs> social research and everyone was like, no, none of them social are gay. Social research that we're calling Social them. research, yeah, a little digging. And they're like, no, you know, they're not gay. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And so I just like didn't really care for any of you because I thought, I just found, I was like, no, they're gay. And like, I want to hear Who it. Who was I with that friends. wasn't gay? Can I say that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, they're, they're, gay now. they're gay now. Yeah, they're gay. Uh, Who was it, Reggie? Reggie Jeremiah. <laughs> Shout out to both of y'all being gay. <laughs> Jeremiah was the one that was like, I'm not gay just because I wear boots. You're gay. Yeah, you're gay. <laughs> anyway, it's not because you wear boots. It's because you... Well, she's thriving. She's but thriving now. No, she's yeah, fabulous. she's thriving. They're yeah. all thriving. So yeah. anyways, how do we meet? How do we meet? So we, um, my sophomore year, your senior year? Was it senior senior year? What year did you graduate? I'm 2011. 2013, yeah. So yeah, it's my senior year. So um, we, uh, our school put on a musical, the production of the musical Rent, and we both auditioned. I got cast as the lead, um, Angel, one of the leads, and Chaz with a, f- a few other great um, black black uh, students who are thriving now um, got cast as well. And so that show I think was really a defining moment in, and the beginning of our friendship because- Yeah, defining moment in both of our college experiences. For, oh yeah, for sure. I mean, my college experience wouldn't have been the same. Like I hated Richmond before I was at, before I was in Rand. Cause yes. I was like, oh, this is finally like a safe space for me to just like be be a queen. Like let it me just like be a queen. It was like a family of queens. And it was, yeah, everybody yeah. was queer. Everyone was super like artsy and I mean, I fun. Boys, we did. <laughs> Um, no, but yeah, so that's how we met, and it was, I mean, the rest really is history. We've gone through a lot of things, a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of super fun things, lots of crazy travels, international, domestic, like, all of that, yes, you know? And, um, it and it was literally only because of rent. You're right. Yeah, I mean, performing with you was definitely hella inspiring, but it was, it, you're right, it was this kind of, like, family moment of, I think, you know, when you're Black and you're gay and you're at a PWI, like, there's a double challenge, right? Finding yes. Black friends. And then finding gay quick, friends, gay friends, friends and finding yeah. black gay friends that are not homophobic is it's so difficult. So, and so difficult. There is this obligation to like whether you shade each other or kind of have certain mm-hmm. things by each other you don't like. We do feel this like genuine like we need to form a friendship because it is rough out here. It really and is. And we need to support yeah. each other, you know. So it was nice to have that friend that like when we both dated fuck niggas, we could come back and bed. <laughs> like, bitch, you will never believe what <laughs> yeah, this is. You won't believe us. No, but it's true. And having, just like at that school, having black friends period was already an accomplishment. But then like within, especially in my grade, I didn't Necessary. have any, I didn't have any black queer friends that were guys. I had um, a lesbian friend and then a trans friend, but not any yeah. uh, gay, sort of like cisgendered yeah. black gay friends. And so. I think it just like going back a little bit to our I think the intersections in our childhood, like definitely throughout my like K through 12 experience, I like dreamed of having like a gay black sister. What I mean by that is like a gay black male friend who was out and who was, you know, creating safe spaces and who was thriving. And like, I didn't really have that. I had gay friends in Connecticut, but like not many men of color who were, who were gay and who were out. Cause I think we both come from that type of family background where it was really hard. And so it is something that I think will last forever because each other's struggle. Um, I agree. So, you know, one day we'll go back to Connecticut or Durham and... Yeah, and we'll see what's going on there. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how um, you think that you're... You, just like you living as Kadeem pushes against the, the norm that we see in media around, like, Black male identity. Um. Okay, so my whole thing is that I often try to, in any way that I can, challenge people's thinking, whether that's with... Um, something that I say, something that I write, or what I wear. Yeah. And I'll focus um, specifically on that because I have always used fashion and style as my main means of self-expression. And uh, that's the way that I've always pushed pushed identity boundaries. It's like, look, I know that when I walk down the street, 
my body is already i am already gonna be judged people are already gonna be looking at me so i may as well give them a show like i may as well give you something to look at and yes hashtag madison Moore. come on fabulous (laughs) you're already gonna think that your first perception of me is going to be that I'm a black, I'm tall, black male. That means you're probably intimidated by me. Hey. You probably don't understand me. You probably don't think that. You have a whole whole list, list of, of things that right. I am. And so I need to be opposite of that to you. Or just, or I can be it that day. Depends. But so. <laughs> I can cuss you out of history. I can do what I want. Like, uh, during college, I, you know, my style was like extremely, um, uh, like extremely preppy and I just did that I was like well I'm in academia and this is just the way that I feel I need to dress for this setting but then you know mm-hmm. Monday through Friday I could be wearing Sperry's up and seersucker but then on the weekends I'll be wearing stilettos and a and a leotard <laughs> like I can do both literally get you somebody who can do snap, get you somebody snap. who can do both um and so you know now I sort of like toe that line with work I'll like some days I'll wear a suit other days, I'll literally show up in a kilt and a mesh top, or I'll wear a sporty jersey dress and sneakers or boots. It just doesn't matter. I use use fashion and style to make sure that I am, um, one, keeping people on their toes, but then also showing you, like, I can use my body and my identity as a Black queer male to challenge everything you think about black malehood or yes. or who I, you who you think i am based on the outfit i wore yesterday or based on your all your messed up perceptions is not who i am i like what you say there because like i like how you go you tie it back to like at the core of your identity is black malehood and yeah. our blackness and our queerness we both know can't really be separated and so i yeah. love how by you dressing in ways that bend these like bullshit gender mm-hmm. norms you're challenging like black malehood identity because you're yeah. still a black man you, you I, just, identify as black male absolutely and i challenge i try to challenge racial norms and gender norms all yes. at the same time like why can't i be a black guy wearing why can't i wear sperry's why can't i wear stilettos like yeah i can do both i can says, also wear jordans and tim's get it i can do all of that <laughs> and <laughs> get i get you a girl who can do both <laughs> i can do all how of has that, that been, how has that been received in the the dating spaces like do you mm. when you meet a guy and you decide to wear the kilt or you decide to wear the sperry's like do you even explain these to him or you just say like, this is me, honey? I don't explain. I let them do the... Do they ask? I have... I mean, typically people... Or if I dress, date a more masculine guy. Sure. If I... Traditionally. If masculine. I date a more traditionally masculine guy, I will sort of dress more conservatively the first time because my <laughs> my thing is like, okay, well, let me just give you the baseline. Let me give you the palette. <laughs> I'm I'm like, you do have the fairy, so... We not. do, so I may, may as well wear them. <laughs> and then the next time I'm like, oh, by the way, I'm just going to wear a kilt and like... A, a knee-high boot why not because i can yeah. and if then you'll probably have questions but i find that often times people will give you credit yeah when they see like oh you're like different or you really try to push the boundaries or yeah. actually that maybe they don't even see it as boundary pushing i mean oftentimes i don't think the things that i'm doing are pushing boundaries i'm just wearing clothes yeah and, and tell me if you uh, agree or disagree so i think a lot of the conversation we're having right now is nothing new to anyone because you're no. already living in real time sure. just just gender bending identity right yeah. Um, so I'm not trying to like define what it means to be mm-hmm. a black man on the show. I'm just revealing that there are already men out here that are giving it, that are doing it, that are alternative, that are pushing the norms, right? And sure. So do you agree that like that's already a thing? Or do you think that the work that you're doing and the identity expression that we have is kind of like, you know, defining black manhood? I think black man has always been complex and diverse, just that media doesn't portray that. I totally agree with you. It's definitely always been, a, been the case. I mean, even to give a give a historical reference that is Sorry. still a, a historical reference that's a little more recent um yeah. like think of the 1920s i mean 
the black men there were super flamboyant and were definitely and into the arts and into fashion and dressed well and were educated and they the people during the Harlem Renaissance were pushing the uh, boundaries of malehood and especially black identity at mm-hmm. the time. I mean, so my whole point is that it's been around forever and that's we're just afraid like, of our ancestors. Yeah, we are and. I think that um, nothing that I'm doing <laughs> now is, uh, you know, new. It's super unique or yeah. new. It's just like this is who I am. This is um, this is how I want to exist in space. And if my existing in space challenges people's thought, then that's fine. But there are always going to be people who who are like, oh my god, I can't believe like he said that or that he wore that or I can't I like being a the whole point of being uh queer is to like while you're it, in your um your experience is just natural your day to day but you're challenging someone else like yeah, our to, very our, our existence it is, is challenging every yeah. time you walk into a room people look and yeah, that's not because i'm like no it's just they're gonna look yeah. if you walk into if you're a black person you walk into an all white space everybody sees you everyone yeah, yeah so you may as well give them something to look at and if you walk into a very you know heteronormative space and you're a queer person even if you're not like overtly queer whatever that means or you're not performative or you're not in a costume or whatever you're just like minding your own business if a queer person shows up in sweatpants guess what everyone in that heteronormative space is probably going to pick up on some cue some social cue that that person is not normative Mm. by their standards Mm -hmm. and so then the question is queering a situation then requires that the person experiencing you to ask why they think you're even queer. Like, why do I challenge all your thoughts? Do you enjoy, um, I was talking to you about like, this kind of relates a bit to my experience of, of dating interracial, but like when you date a guy that is a little more like traditionally masculine, do you enjoy having these conversations and enlightening them this way? Or do you want to date a guy that you can come home and you don't have to even explain this because they have their own queer identity, you have yours? Or do you like to kind of open up your partner's? I prefer to open up their mind um, and have, you know, useful, thought-provoking discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, the part that I don't like is if it becomes too in, interrogative. Like, well, why did you do that today? Or I'm like, uh, I can do whatever I want. Like, I don't need you questioning. Mm-hmm. If you are, you know, like, okay, team, I'm curious about this. Or, or if I just feel like talking to you about decisions that I make or thoughts that I have, then that's great. But I would definitely like to be able to engage in, you know, productive dialogue with a significant other are you openly dating now no <laughs> i mean i'm tell the girls this why is, briefly before this, we is this, new segment. York. this is new york i'm like you know making my rounds but i'm not I re- i'm just not in the place right now to um can you do both in new york of, can you yeah, i think you can can you have a serious kind of dating structured life and like be thriving on the scene I think for your you, work i think you can you just have to figure out how to find that balance but right now i'm just really really focused on my work and i think that you have to take time to do that for yourself in order to then be your best self for whoever that person is going to be or whoever those persons are going to be so. yes or no question are men typically intimidated by your high performance drive or are they inspired by it they're typically intimidated oh and with that we'll end the segment (laughs) (laughs) step your pussy up (laughs) (laughs) all right so tell us something about um 
your brand. I know that it's like fairly new. I have a t-shirt. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, we're gonna be pitched, we're gonna kind of you know promote it on this show. We are definitely a black black gay owned business. Hello, Come how on, you honey. doing? <laughs> Two check boxes. How's that for your diversity inclusion initiative? <laughs> right. You get up. You better call these colleges. Oh, hello. I, yeah, I check all the boxes. First generation college student. No. 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 Oh, whoops. <laughs> she comes from an intellectual. <laughs> 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 But tell us about your brand, and um, I just want to hear like the conception of it and how. Um, why did you decide to go in your own lane and create your own brand, and then where you really feel like it's going, and how, what does that have to do with Kadeem's dreams? Sure. Okay. So as I mentioned um, in the last little bit, I am a fashion designer. I've been working in this um, in New York for five years. Um, I have worked for pretty good designers, and I um, was not really interested in working in the big sort of corporate uh setting within fashion it just like sucked the creativity who is huh <laughs> so no is. one yeah. but it i mean it was great like i worked for michael kors before it was fabulous fashion week da, 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 celebrities all that stuff but like every day that i went to work i was just like oh my god i want to like die like this is just so sad i did not do all of this work and i didn't invest so much time and effort into building my creative self to like go into a corporate setting and mm. have it just be a robot basically yeah. to make to make someone else's to make someone else money. And that is the reason why I started the business, is that I was tired of using my talent and my time to make other people money. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't freelance and contract out my work now. Because you know Coins are coins. Coins are coins, honey, and I will take as many coins <laughs> as you're willing to give me to do what I'm good at. But um so I started my brand um this Earlier this year in February, it's uh, Muge, New York. That's M-U-X-E, New York. Um, and I really started it with this idea like, okay, I know where I want to be in five years as a designer, as a yeah. person, and as a brand, uh-huh. but I have to start somewhere. And my thought then was to start with something that I believe in, but that was also simple and achievable. But then that could also have an impact on the community, my local community, but then also the community at large. So I started Mijay New York uh, early this year in February, and the overall intent was to create thought-provoking unisex garments that commented on gender, politics, and culture. My idea was, you know, I want to talk about LGBT stuff. I want to talk about race. I want to talk about the current political scene, and I want to talk about, like, fun pop culture things. And I thought, how better to talk about those things than to put them on t-shirts? Like, let's just go back to basics. <laughs> Black <laughs> and white t-shirts with messages on them that when you see them, you have you, you instantly think about something. I don't know what those thoughts are going to be, but, every, and you know, everyone experiences uh, visuals and references differently. Yeah. But anyways, the whole, one of the main things with this is that I wanted it to be unisex and I wanted it to be gender fluid so that it could lead into this. Uh, I mean, what gender fluidity right now is major in fashion. And it's like, who can't wear a T-shirt? Everybody has the body for a T-shirt, no matter what your uh, sex is, no matter what your race is, no matter what your body size is, your gender identity, your gender expression, your gender performance, all that. You can still wear a T-shirt. Like, so for me, it was just sort of a simple thing. And this isn't, this is a starting point. Um, and so the inspiration behind the name, Mujé, um, it refers to a indigenous culture in Mexico uh, and this category within that culture uh, that don't identify as straight, gay, man, woman, anything. They just sort of live and they can, um, some of them are men who live as women and then other just identify in this third gender outside of the di- gender dichotomy. Um, which I thought was super interesting. And I like was searching online to try and find a 
uh, name. A, a name that sort of in, uh, sort of in perfectly described what I was trying to give out. Like, how can I, how can it be unisex and fun, not cheesy, da da da? Oh, Mujay, boom. And it kind of worked. Um, and so this is a brand that celebrates gender fluidity. And one of the really important things about it is that I uh, give back to my community. So a portion of all proceeds go to um, an LGBT youth organization here in New York called Live Out Loud. And basically Live Out Loud inspires and empowers LGBT youth to build a successful future by connecting them to positive role models and affirmative experiences in the LGBT community. Um, and this is an organization that I've been involved with for like th three years now as a volunteer, a speaker, role model for LGBT youth uh, who are in middle school and high school throughout the five boroughs of New York. And so it was sort of just like a no brainer. Like I'm already involved with the organization. I give my time. And so now it's time for me to give back to give my talent and to give my money basically. And yeah. so um, every time you buy a shirt, you positively impact an LGBT kid who are typically POS, uh, people of color. So it's especially just really, New York. Yeah, especially. So it's just great to sort of use my talent and my design to give back. Um, and so, yeah, um, the brand is going pretty well for now. We um, have got a lot of positive press. Uh, we recently just sold at DragCon about three weeks ago, which was really great. Tell us about um, a press that was like really, that you feel like was really great. So like, was there a particular article you did, a press release, a, a video? So... That you feel like they really captured the essence everything, of the brand sure. really well, So that people can go look at it. Right, right, right. I, um... I'll just talk about the first one because that was truly my most kind of like a moment that I'm most proud of. And I feel like gave a really, uh, total, a total, uh, gives you a total understanding of the brand. I, um, was featured in USA Today earlier this year, uh, in their money section that was talking about how to, how young people have taken their side hustles to their, to create small businesses. Yes. Um, so you can check that out. That's a very dope concept. USA Today, so true. New York. And basically, the reason I loved it because it was an article that featured a Black queer entrepreneur and oftentimes Black bodies are left out of the money conversation and queer bodies are definitely left out of the money conversation. I just think that that but has to change. Use as commodity. Though. Exactly. Our labor is typically used to make white dollars and I was just like, I'm not doing that anymore. You... Like, yeah. So it was just really great for them to feature me. And I was the only black person featured in the article. There was like four other entrepreneurs featured, but it was just great to have my name beside the word entrepreneur. But yeah. then also they talked about the fact that we give to um, live out loud. And they so they mentioned that I'm queer in the article in their one way. Mm -hmm. And per the picture, they mentioned that I'm black. And I so think the queer really experience that we, you know, the ways that we grow up and the way we have to navigate life as we, a black person, as a yeah. gay person creates these very marketable entrepreneurial skills. Mm -hmm. So for me, as your friend, as your sister, I've always seen you as an entrepreneur. So I, I do understand the, the value of having it recognized beyond your homie chat. Sure, exactly. <laughs> no, it was just really cool. Like just the idea of being in a publication of that level. What has been the moment something? in your career so far where like you, because you are, you are a tough cookie. You are all about aesthetics and you like your coin and you like your things done in a particular order. But, like, everybody has a, a soft spot. Like, mm -hmm. what is the moment in your career, um, whether it's starting your brand or when you first got your job at Michael Forbes, when you finished that new school, where you really walked into your office inside of your desk and you were like, I am doing it. Like, I am here. Ooh. Do you have a moment where, like, you got the chills and you were like, you know what, Kadeem? Yes. Yeah, you did it. Well, actually, you know, actually, <laughs> From the to moment, it, it has, ha I have had that moment a few times. Okay. Um, just take us there. You don't need that much context. Just I'll just take us there. 
the first one of the first times was when I um, was my first time at Fashion Week. And I was just like, wait, oh, my God, <laughs> like, I'm actually at Fashion Week. Like, I just saw Anna Wintour and I'm in the same room with all these people. And like, these are all the people that I used to, like, read about in magazines and books. And I, you know, I thought that they were I just thought this was so unattainable, unattainable. And I was like, I, I guess everything that I said I was going to do to get to this point actually worked. <laughs> like, go figure. It actually worked. Like, who knew? Anyway, so that was the first time. But the m- most recent time where I feel like I have made it as Kadeem and as a designer and sort of like um, fulfilled all the promises that I made to my younger self uh, was recently at DragCon. I was just selling my clothes. You know, we had a bunch of magazines come up and try to interview and talk but the most impactful moment was when a young kid dressed like young uh young boy young boy came up and he was wearing like four inch pumps and just marched up to my table (laughs) and demanded that I give him one of my shirts and I just was like oh my god this is so moving because it just showing that like the work that I'm doing actually does inspire young kids. And that's really what, why I do this so that someone else can see me and hopefully see themselves within me and then start to realize their own dreams. Like, look, was yes, little you? kid, you can do this. Yeah. You can be on this side of the table. You can want, you can achieve your dreams. And that's the whole point. And so it was just great for him. I, I just couldn't believe that I was the work and thought that I put into these, this brand and these shirts ended up at DragCon. Yeah. And then some young kid, saw it and was moved by it and came over to to retrieve one that's just did he retrieve one like he purchased one he retrieved it like actually (laughs) he he, gave him a shirt i just gave it i just gave it to him because i just like i mean i would have taken his money but (laughs) i i just gave it to him no we were like handing out advertisements for one shirt and he just came over and was like i heard you had the vanji shirt and i really wanted and i was like here you go like story it was just beautiful and it was just those those moments where you really see the fruits of your labor actually come to fruition and really work and impact the community that you actually care about. Who um, was that for you? Oh. Who did you see as that, when you were that little boy and you were like, I am going to be live that. my authentic self because this person really inspires me to do it. Um, hmm. I had to think about that question for myself. I, I don't mean, really know. I mean, a really... For me, it was a lot of black women. It was a lot of people. Everybody. <laughs> it was waiting to exhale. I was like, you know what? I don't need a man. Yeah. It was Angela Bassett for me. It was, it, I I really love the celebrities. Um, you know, the movie stars, the Mariah Carey, Whitney, Angela Bassett, um, for me, Loretta really, Devine, it, it was, Shirley was, Rapp. Yeah, it was Angela, Tina Turner. It was these like powerful black women. Black women, yeah. Even the, in real life or the roles that they play, like Angela Bassett, just, she was so versatile Absolutely. in all her movies. And I, I just wasn't finding that around the the, the boys that I was sure. hanging out with. And so yeah. seeing her and like how Sally got her group back, waiting to exhale as Tina Turner, like she just had this this force to her. And I was like, I want to be a versatile Absolutely. artist like that that yeah. can express myself in so many different mediums. Mine is, yeah, mine is always, I've been so inspired and moved uh, by Black women. They're just the strongest people that I know. I was raised around very, very strong Black women. Um, we may have disagreed on some points, but we could always... I, I can still respect them because Mm -hmm. they hustled Mm -hmm. like they hustled and seeing, so seeing my real life black uh, female role models and then seeing the ones on the screen. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I keep mentioning, especially because we're from the South, E. Patrick Johnson talks a lot about um, how black gay men, a lot of our queerness, like the aesthetic of our queerness roots from like black women, even though they may not identify or value our humanity sometimes in homophobic spaces, 
we still like you know it was the way that my mother dressed the way that she the performance of her putting on a good weave honey honey like, putting getting ready for sunday church <laughs> honey that's the reason why i went into fashion are you kidding like seeing the the fashion show that was sunday <laughs> like i went from walking down the <laughs> walking down the aisle to the altar to walking fashion week yeah that is beautiful yeah so true definitely talk a lot about how like you got tired of um noticing that queer and black labor are all often the the, the things behind let me start with one of the things that is really inspiring in your story and thing that I feel like you touched on really well is like you talk very clearly around queer and black labor being kind of um behind a lot of white dollar right mm-hmm. and getting and you got to a point where you were like mm, that's not gonna be me like i'm going to create my own content i'm going to mm-hmm. run my own brand i'm going to be my i'm going to be labeled as an entrepreneur not helping someone else achieve their dreams um and there's nothing wrong with other people but you know we need to get our point yeah tell us about how it has been to be in the industries that you are and to see white mediocreness and to know that they have the capacity to be here and that you come from a background where you've really had to strive and push in different ways. And so what, what does that mean when you just know, as a black artist, you knowing the value of black artistry, but working in these kind of like spaces that are forcing you to kind of corporate, be corporate? Absolutely. So one of the main things, um, there was this article recently written by um, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner, yeah. who has just been appointed to um, like the senior creative director for Teen Vogue or something or other. She's amazing. But she wrote this article basically asking the question, what, what is it like to be black and work in fashion? And she got a, you know, responses from a bunch of powerful people in the industry. But my response to that question is super simple. Being black and working in fashion is knowing that you're the best, knowing that you're the most talented, knowing that you're by far the most educated and the most skilled, but that you will always, always lose your job to a white mediocre woman. And I'm not saying that that white mediocre woman doesn't deserve deserve a job or deserve to be there. I'm just saying that I deserve it more than her and I never get it. And if I do get it, she ends up being my boss. (laughs) Damn. And maybe not her exactly, but a white mediocre woman ends up being my boss. So you're saying that one of the biggest challenges in your industry is to work with with white mediocre mediocre people. But typically white mediocre women white mediocre women and i do have to make that distinction unfortunately because oftentimes when we talk about work and corporate spaces it's always that women get paid less or women don't have the i work in an industry where women dominate and women make more and white women make more than black men and Mm -hmm. i uh just always want to point that out but even though i don't aesthetic exactly and i don't i like honestly i've had a lot of all my bosses have been white women. I have had male bosses who are like three or four levels above and they've been gay, but they had to deal with the same shit. Like they had to deal with dealing with that white, that white woman who always says, no, I don't like that. Oh no. Why don't we do it this way? Or like, could we pop like, no, all the, all the games. So when I see a gay guy at the top, I know all the stuff that he had to deal with. Yeah. But typically that gay guy is white. Typically. Yeah. I, I'm sort of just have had, I've had to carve out my own space. It's like, okay, you want me to do the code switch game? You want me to da da da? I can do that to get to where I need to. Um, But I always, I, 
always knew that my talent and my drive would get me to where I need to be. And right now I'm in a really good place, but I had to branch out on my own in order to create a whole lane. Like I'm, they're never going to let me in unless I like break down the door. And you can talk a little bit, uh, this is part reality and part imagination of yours I'm asking to engage with, but how much of having your own brand and being your own boss and really being a, a car- carving that entrepreneurial space for yourself, do you think is really going to allow you to escape we're having to work with my with white mediocrity. Oh, so. I don't know. I it's always going to be there, and yeah. um, the thing the thing is the or? thing. What I'll say is that I get to choose who I work with. So that's that's a rather than being forced into a situation where, um, I sort of have to go with what they say, even though I know that that's not the right thing. So choice is the main thing. Choice um, is the main thing. Yeah. Tell us about some um, Caucasity stories. So one of the segments I'm definitely <laughs> one of the segments I'm doing on the show, which is interesting because I feel like we all, as black gay men working in various industries, mm-hmm. I'm in academia, nonprofits. You're in the fashion industry and entrepreneurial space. We all have to deal with Caucasity. There are moments when you know if we're really being real, and this is a show that I do not want us to have to code switch. Right. We have to have these moments where we're like, "This have I had the Caucasity? Caucasity, right?" Tell us your um, the Caucasian audacity. Oh my god. Um, there were so many, so many moments. I'll just tell one recently, and I will not say what company because I cannot afford to get Lego from this contract. But um, <laughs> uh, take us there. Girl. I will take you there. So I, um, I have worked on a team um, in the past where I. Uh, hold on. Let me. <laughs> Let me get myself together because she's about to take me to a dark um, place. I, yeah, I, I thought I had I thought I had moved past this. Um, <laughs> it turns out I had not. So where is she right now? Like, take us there. Like, what do you think she's doing right now? What she's doing right this now? Probably has, yoga. <laughs> <laughs> what is she wearing? What brand of yoga pants is she wearing? Not the right one. <laughs> um, no, anyway. So I worked with this woman, and she is one of those people where it's like. Because I took one design class in like middle school, I am qualified to give advice and guidance to someone who has a graduate degree in fashion design. Or from the new school. From Parsons, the number one design school in the country, just in case you forgot. Forgot. <laughs> Google is your friend. Um and like to the point where she actually said that in a meeting. Like, well, I think I like do know what I'm talking about because I took an arts class in high school. She said that, like those words left her lips and it's like, great, but so you went, you also went to a really great business school and got a marketing degree and that's why you are the marketing coordinator. Yeah. And I'm not. Yeah. And I never come over to your side. I don't send your marketing emails. I don't yeah. send your marketing campaigns. I don't need, I don't give you constructive criticism. you don't have criticism. a fashion show with no fashions. <laughs> like, like literally, she's, she's that girl yeah. and she's like, she's, she's a girl that's never been to Fashion Week. She's never gone um, she's never shopped the market. She's never been to a trade show. She's never worked at a fashion brand. And then all of a sudden she ends up in a place because once again, <laughs> she just decided to like, okay, I'm a white woman. I guess today, I, today I'm going to be fashion designer. <laughs> and tomorrow and I'm going to do yoga. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. So she has had caucasity on several, several occasions where basically it's like, I am an expert in my, me, Kadeem, I'm an expert in my field and I'm giving you, like, I'm, you're literally paying me consulting rate. Like I come and consult for you and 
somehow this white woman because she said it it that's what goes but you have absolutely no um you have no experience and no expertise in this field so i just don't know why your opinion matters so much um and with that same person um you know i've set out a lot of guidelines it's like no this would be best practices this is how um, this is how we can achieve the best possible product because that's why I'm there. I am the designer and I want to make sure that we are giving the market the best, the best that we can offer. And we'll get to like the final stage of a, of a product that we're about to release. And she's like, you know what? I really don't like this color. Or I really don't like this logo. Or like, why do we do it this way? And it's like, well, you have like six months, Susan, to, <laughs> to, um, to give your opinion. And your opinion is, is not welcome right now. And so... Oftentimes dealing with these women, it's just that they think that their opinion is the end all be all and that they can say it at any point. Well, their that condition, process, their yeah, they're conditioned to think that. And and that and that the process, like literally the the industry that industry an industry that has been around for decades, centuries, all of a sudden, because you, Amy <laughs> an says, industry that has always been touched by blackness. It like always. it has it cannot yes, ever yeah. be disconnected. We have always been up We that. have inspired it for years. I mean yeah, it's it's just a really it's a cyclical a cyclical thing, and um, it's because the industry keeps hiring them and keeps letting them in. I mean, their dads are the ones that own the companies, so that's why they get they get let in, and they they get you know they get to be the lazy interns who end up being the senior designers. Meanwhile, a black kid can come in there and work their ass off, get a, get two degrees, and then end up not getting a job. Mm. And you talked about, like, this is a part of the reason why you decided to, you know, you spent too damn long to really hone into your artistry, your creative talents, especially as a black man. And you're not going to let corporate America have that. And so tell us a little bit about how um, you, how do you stay connected to your inner creative Kadeem when you still have to deal with some of this caucasity and some of this, 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 knowing that you can work 10 times as hard and still be paid less? How do you still tap into the most beautiful part of your art artistic practice. I um I have found a the the way that I've achieved that in a, a role that I'm in now is just by being in private. Mm-hmm. Like I do my best work when I work at home, which is always part of my contract. So if I consult for a business, my my number one rule is well my, my second, number one rule is I can my, num- my creativity around white people. <laughs> my number my number one rule is this is how much you're gonna pay me. Period. Mm-hmm. My second rule is uh that um, you have to I, I have to do I have to do work from home days and that I have no direct report. I don't report to anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm Kadeem. And if you and this is how much I cost. And if you want the best product for me, this is the way that it's got to be done. I will come into the office for meetings and fittings. But I if you want creative output, I have to be at home with like my Anita Baker, my Aretha Franklin playing and like I need my lighting. I need my personal space so that my best creative self can come out because that's just the way that I've always done it. And that's not Um, That's not a privilege or an opportunity that I would have ever had in corporate America. Mm. And I I realized that very, you know, very early. And it's like, honestly, you're not, you guys aren't paying me enough for me to sacrifice my happiness and my time. So I'm going to have to figure out a different way to do this. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is to work as an independent contractor and then also own your own business because then you make your own hours and you get to, I get, with my business, I get to decide when when I'm releasing a collection. I'm not beholden to anybody's deadlines. What is your advice for folks who, you know, are dealing with caucasity on a daily basis in more challenging capacities than you? Bitch, fuck them. <laughs> uh, uh, 
honestly, I would say just um, take as much time to yourself as possible. Even if that means a brief five minute, you know, cry in the bathroom or a brief five minute call with your girlfriend outside the office, just like try to have your moments where you get to be your most authentic self. <laughs> and then if you just got to go back, code switch for a little couple more hours. If you're getting pain enough, then um, and you're satisfied in that way, then I guess it's OK. It's just not my approach. How does how does respectability politics like take over in the fashion industry? Because you know our our aesthetic, you know, blackness as a as an art form, you know, runs that shit. And mm-hmm. so, do you ever feel like you have to stifle your creativity, or do you feel like it thrives because they don't have the artistic eye that you have? They never, sure. I'm, thinking, I'm kind of thinking about that scene in Get Out when you know he was he wanted the the um, did you see Get Out? Oh, uh, oops. <laughs> Next, but there's a. <laughs> There's a part of Get Out where the guy um, wants the eye of the black sure, man, sure, so sure. he can he can actually go and buy um, a style of art. I could okay. be butchering it, but that's basically what happens. Sure. So, do you feel that even though working in these white spaces can be stifling because of the BS called Cassidy, at the end of the day, they don't have the art skill that you have? That, just the they, natural. You eye. know what I will say? They don't have. Um, many of them don't have that artistic creative creativity or that I because they don't have experience my creativity (laughs) my creativity is a product of every struggle that I've ever had to endure it's a product of years of heartbreak heartache uh that's the reason why I can see someone else's artistic output if I go to a museum and I see a piece and I'm instantly moved I know that what the artist they have a story that's why I can connect and what my output what the reason why I can give uh why I can give a um, noteworthy creative output <laughs> is because of my experience. Not everyone that receives my output necessarily needs to know any of that, or nor will they, nor will they see it, even if I were to tell them. It's just that's that's the reason why. So you're I saying can like create. the personal, the personal experience. The personal certainly informs, informs yeah. your artistic output. Yes. And I just find that oftentimes in these fashion spaces, most people just enter because. They like pretty things or they like want to be there for the glamour or their dad like told them to or owns the company or, you know, they just like want to be like a fun fashion girl. But like, I'm not in fashion for that. I'm in I'm in fashion because it really means something to me. And it is the way that I express everything it's the way that i process and express everything that i've been do you think you have to be in new york to do exactly what you're doing or do you have visions to be somewhere else Uh, i need to be in new york for now as far as i'm concerned for like another five years or so and then i would love my business to be able to take me to other places the beauty of the freedom that i have with owning my own company is that i can travel and i can experience other things and i can do this from anywhere but for the biggest opportunities um the best networking um and sort of the best like social experiences that actually do sometimes inform your professional mm-hmm. i have to be here who are the black men in fashion that really inspire your hustle um andre lane tally yeah. he's actually from durham too oh, wow. which is something that i found out when i was like in high school I have you met reading. we haven't met i'm like this close though we have some mutual <laughs> we have mutual friends i just haven't met him yet but um, or mutual connections, rather. Angelina um, Tally, yeah, he's amazing. I read his biography, both of his biographies, and sorry, both of his autobiographies, and he he has a similar story in that he was just like, I mean, the way that my grandma and mom dressed up for church was like that 
that performance of fashion is the reason why I love it. Yeah. And then going to see it in its like realist, if you will, form or the most whatever I guess validated form. Coming to New York and doing that and being around supermodels and magazine editors and all that, like being in the real rather than someone sort of like um, someone's interpretation of it is just full circle, mm-hmm. full, full circle moment. And he really, I mean, he's like at the top of his game and he's always really inspired me. And unfortunately, there aren't that many black men in fashion that people know about, like Edward Anifel, he's great, um, creative director at um, British Vogue. He's great. He's in the new school family. Um, I have a, you know, some sort of smaller designers that I'm interested in as well who are really pushing the boundaries in terms of gender and uh, race and just everything. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff happening now. Do you think that there is that there is a, a are there a lot of straight men, straight black men in fashion? None that I know. Yeah. (laughs) The way that you say the personal really informs the creativity. Wouldn't you also say the queer does as well? You know, actually, I went to school with, um, when I was at Parsons, I went to school, the only other black guy in my program, in my my year, was straight. He, well, as far as I know. Um, (laughs) He had a really interesting background as well. He was from, like, even deeper south than me. And he, like, did streetwear in this very, like, high-end way and it was like only his imagination only his imagination could think of like a jumpsuit in a couture way only him (laughs) and I just could never do that you know so but I I mean I have worked with straight guys but just like not that many like a lot of them are either on like the photography side or the marketing or just anything but design like typically the designers are either women or gay men Mm -hmm. so that's good I mean I would imagine that it, it makes for good like socializing or do you not have a lot of queer friends that are in fashion? I don't have as many as maybe I should because I find sometimes the social situations can be like really superficial. Yeah. And I can only play that game for so long. That's like, a, I mean, queer like superficialness, if you want to call it that, is definitely another like code switching, you know? Mm-hmm. It's definitely another form of code switching because I definitely feel like there's so much of the LGBTQ movement that still centers whiteness. Exactly, which I don't have time for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah, you know, that is hashtag grinder. All these like dating right. apps so like still driven towards like the, the Abercrombie bodied white boy. Mm-hmm. And that's not even my type. So yeah. I'm just not, um, I'm not here for that. Anymore. No, no, no. What, what role do like authentic, uh, rich black spaces really play in your, in your daily life? Like living in New York and working in these spaces, all the stories that you shared about work, do you ever feel like sometimes you just need to go to a soul food spot? Like what is the, the black space in your life that really feels like the home place where you can just go, you don't have to code switch, you can be Kadeem, or is it a queer space? But like, where do you go where you're like, I can take my wig off. I can talk shit about work. Sure. I can talk about the Caucasity or I can. I would say that it. I actually find that I in terms of blackness, I don't have many public spaces that I go to. Not that they don't exist. It's just that I just haven't found them. My Those spaces in terms of blackness are more private. Mm-hmm. And like with my good girlfriends or with my cousins or my family. Like if I go hang out and do Sunday dinner with my family, that's where I can, you know, just really be my, my most truest self. But then in terms of queerness, um, there's this great uh, concept store in Soho uh, called The Fluid Project, which I have... Uh, had my clothes carried in earlier this year, which is 
a super queer space, gender fluid. Yeah. And um, that's where I feel like I and lots of queer kids um, are like coming out of the woodwork to go. You can go shop. You can go have coffee, tea. You can go walk the runway. You can go. Try, I mean, you can do any. You can be whoever you want to be there. And I just think they're doing such great work for and the, what's it called? the fluid project. Okay. Um, fluid spelled P-H-L-U-I-D. Um, it's really great. It's run by Rob, Robert Beard Smith. He's a really great guy. He's given me a lot of opportunities and he really does champion queer designers he lets a lot of poc people really just show their best selves even if you know if they're artists designers actors all that so i just love those sort of creative conceptual spaces where you can go and be your most authentic self without any without fear of judgment mm -hmm. great shout out shout out to the the fluid project, the fluid project okay yeah. yes. um, and the, you said there are a lot of queer poc folks there are like okay, a lot, okay. yeah. Because I mean, I, I definitely this could be a stereotype, but I definitely, you know, me living in Richmond, Virginia, I totally think that um, New York just seems aesthetically to be like such a queer friendly space. Sure. I would imagine there are just so many spots where you can go and just make authentic friendships with queer folks. You can. Um, do you like ha has that definitely been like a game changer as far as you compared to living in Richmond or Durham? Certainly Durham. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it's like a game changer. Just like is what it is. I can find queer spaces anywhere. I think if you really seek them out. But I think that here it's that you could literally walk into like a bodega and it actually be the, accidentally be the gayest place you've ever been. <laughs> like in New York, it's just you can just be free. You know, I can't do the New York thing with the roommates in the apartment because I just. <laughs> I'm just Bar used to living barge alone. Into people. Yeah, I'm just used to living alone, walking around naked, partying when I want, <laughs> using the bathroom with the door open. I can't do the roommates. And everybody is, everyone that I know that lives out here is just hustling. Like, yes. all of y'all are like, you know, I have the, the, a degree from the number one school. I work and make this much money. I'm like a socialite. I'm, I'm 17 roommates. <laughs> like, I just can't do that. Like, how do you tell that a guy has to shit together when you want to date if all of y'all have five roommates? So, like, do you have. How many bathrooms does your apartment have? Like, how yes. do you? I don't know. How, how do you tell? Well, I think it's like an age, age career benefit or benefit. But if they're over thirty-five, I mean, I feel like if you're over forty and you're living in New York, you need to have your own place. But is that even possible? Because yes. that's like three thousand dollars a month. That's it's more than, but <laughs> you you do you have to. I I mean I know people who are in their late twenties who somehow live alone. I don't know how in New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived alone once before, but it was just really, really costly, and I don't live alone now, so <laughs> clearly that was not the that was not the move. All right, so again, you know, having Black Matter, sorry, again, having the Black Matter podcast and bringing on folks who are going to help me kind of expand the multidimensionality of Blackness, you know, we cannot um, avoid the dating conversation. And so you and I both being gay men, we definitely have our fair share of we talk about caucasity, just negativity. <laughs> and so I do want to talk to you about definitely just like, you know, some of our dating experiences with fuckboys and not even just them, but just like in general, just, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, because I feel like we both, uh, I don't know about you, but like being, being gay and being out and being open, being flamboyant and what people would say, you know, obviously gay, right? Like sure, I can't sure, really sure, hide sure. it. I think when I... <laughs> when I woke up and decided to be who I am. Hello. Because <laughs> it's a choice, right? It's such a choice. <laughs> I feel like I always thought that living my authentic self, I would attract people who also live their authentic mm. self. But in my experience, I have, I don't know about you, but in my experience, I definitely have attracted men that are not as um, open and fluid as I am. And it has really let me down this kind of like 
rabbit hole journey of like dating men that are not as comfortable mm-hmm. with their queerness or their homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it, you know, there's something to be said around like, you know, well, that's, that's who you're letting in your life. But sure, like, sure, sure. I, I don't know, you know, so let's talk about that. Basically okay. the name of this segment is, I don't have anything against straight men, but, but. <laughs> stop coming for us. <laughs> Um, I mean, I definitely have a lot of stories to share about this. I, um, have had my fair share of straight, quote-unquote, guys. Whether that be in a long-term thing, short-term thing, hookup situation, friends with benefits, whatever you want to call it. Um, have you ever been intimate with a man that deep down you knew and thought was straight? Because sexuality is yes, a construct. several times. <laughs> <laughs> It is, it is a contract. I've, I mean, I've hooked up with guys who I genuinely think are straight, and that was just a moment in time or a few moments in time. Um, and then I have other experiences possible. where they, you know, claim to be straight after the fact, but in the moment they were, like, super, super gay and just, like, super into it. So, you yeah. know what's really fascinating to me? One of my friends who will go and name, who is the most open, accepting person that I can think of and definitely is one of my best friends and, and loves everyone, mm-hmm. for sure. I don't think she has any hate, but we all have our own biases. Sure. And I found it so fascinating that the other day we were having drinks, she said, she's a woman of color, and she said that, like, you know, she is totally open with people living their own lifestyle, mm-hmm. but she could never date a guy. She could be in an open relationship. She was, we were talking about open relationships. Mm-hmm. And she basically said she could be in an open relationship, but she could not be in an open relationship with a guy that was fluid. Okay. And I was like, I don't understand. That's like, so weird. Yeah. If it's open. Then it should be all the way open. But I have, I've kind of, I've heard that before, particularly from women. It's like, I could, I couldn't be with a guy that slept with men and women or just, or men and was with her. But I feel like I could be. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag friends plus. Friends plus. (laughs) I feel like I could be with a guy that um, is intimate with women because in my eye, I would never get jealous. Like never. You're going out for ice cream. I serve brownies over here. Hello. So go get your ice cream. (laughs) We're not in the same industry. About that, what would you do if you were dating a guy that had a girlfriend? It was all open, Mm -hmm. and the girlfriend had a problem with him being with men. I I think it's kind of well. I've done done that before. (laughs) (laughs) This is New York, though. I've done that before. Is it bias or do you think that like, like do these women need to get a grip or do you think that there's something to be said I, for? I think they need to get a grip. If you are in you know, a open. relationship, it should be open and... You can't this, police someone's sexuality. I don't think you... Yeah, you, can, you shouldn't police it. Not I'm not saying that open relationships, open relationships can't exist. Without rules. It, yeah. And they can exist between heterosexuals, homosexuals, bisexuals, da da da, whatever. It doesn't matter where you fall on the um, sexuality... The, the, the scale yeah but i don't know i think i would be i would be totally fine with hashtag kg whatever and like going back to oh my god not KG, not shout KG. out to kg hey kg hey kg how are you doing <laughs> lmao well he was another example honey where he thought he was so here's a t um i mean chaz already knows whatever he's out now so it's fine but when i was in college i was hooking up with um one of our star football players and at the time he was straight or bi but he was he was bi to me and straight to everyone else and he was engaged to a woman who also worked at our school but anyway that's a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast um 
anyway, Black it was Matter, it right? was totally fine for me. I was like, I'm okay playing my position here. Yeah. And just like you players on the field, I'm playing. Mine. Yeah. You touched down at today's <laughs> game and I touched down <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, which like I found that fine, and now he's you know totally out and totally gay. But I think at the time, whether or not he was, I had no doubt at the time that he was bisexual. I think at the moment yeah. he was bisexual, he was, and he was definitely hooking I think up the with the only her. people who had a hard time understanding his complexities were black people. I agree because he was totally the white people understood, they understood because yeah. he was he was accepted in the in the in the press, he spaces. was, you know, that was really it's, I mean, I'm not not to you know, not to bring up old tea, but like. That was really my first exposure to a black male that was very sexually fluid. He was extremely like, fluid. I really agree with what you're saying that I thought at the time, because sexuality is a construct that can change because people evolve. Mm-hmm. I thought at the time that he was bisexual and I never I doubted that, agree. He, that yeah. he didn't love the woman that he was mm-hmm. with. Um, I think that people evolve and I think that he is someone that probably, maybe not now if I, if I met him now, but I think at that time, I think he could have been happy with a woman or a male. I agree. I think he was. He was happy with both. In the way with that he both. explained it, he yeah. was like, no, I, I love her. And there are things that I do with her that I can't do with a guy. And yeah. da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, of course, now she's a lesbian. And, but it, it's a, and you know, it's a, it, it is it is such juxtaposition that with what we have now where men who are like you and I that are, you know, stereotypically flamboyant mm-hmm. and what someone would call maybe like flaming gay or whatever sure, sure, those, sure. those BS terms are that people use to describe us. It's so fascinating to me it still is this could be immature thinking but like it's fascinating to me that men who are uh, more traditionally straight acting sure. let's just call it that tend to go for me and you and i sure. always find like why would you well no it's actually pretty simple i've talked about this with other friends that other like black queer guys mm-hmm. that it's they see in us everything that they could never be in public like if yeah, you're familiar with the show Pose that was just out. Remember yes, the scene yes. where, um, I love where oh my god, Angel, where thing. Angel is explaining to the banker, whatever his name is, I can't remember. Angel, yes, is explaining to the white guy, yeah, um, like, um, what, oh my god, what did he say? Oh, when they're sitting on the steps, and she takes no, 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 no. It's after the party, and they're at the restaurant. Yes, and she's like, you, you see me as like a fantasy thing. Because you could never, yeah. ever have this life. Yeah. Ever. You couldn't. He's not strong enough. He's not strong enough. He could never yeah. deal with the complexities of being a trans person of color. Yeah. But he yeah. wants me to somehow, um, he, we give him access. Like yeah. she's saying, like, you're you're trying to access all of this through me. It's white tourism. But you can't. It's, it's tourism. tourism. Yeah. I mean, and when I, he came to the ball, when he got to the ball and he couldn't handle it, it's yes. because, yeah, girl, because you haven't, you I haven't lived. dealt with the experiences that led these girls to the ball. Yes, I that's know. the whole reason. Yeah, like no, you, you know, I got, no. I got you it. drove to the ball. These girls walked. <laughs> yes, I five. <laughs> if our editor can add an I five, <laughs> you know, I, I, it's fascinating that you brought that up. Um, this is like the connection in our friendship because like we didn't even talk about this before, but like I got teary eyed in that scene. You know my past. Yeah, with hashtag Japan Bay. Oh um, right, yeah, a couple years ago. I, I definitely have experienced that where people meet me and they see the the, the vibrancy, the, yeah. the energetic part of my personality, and they think that I just woke up and I was like this. But I am so confident and I love who I am because of the struggles that I've had. Exactly. I'm a child of the incarcerated. Yeah. I had a mother that was very homophobic. I had a mother that 
bully me at home yeah. and then I went to school and had to deal with it so my tears were all used up by the time I got to college Hello. all gone all cried out all cried out you know by 15 I was going to the barber shop like are you gonna cut my hair like, if you have a problem with faggots then don't shape up my head I will go somewhere else <laughs> Hello. you know what I mean if my barber was out sick I didn't get a haircut because I was like I'm not dealing with none of y'all okay I was I, I just you know seriously it, no one sees what leads up no to one the, sees the struggle no one sees they the struggle that see, leads up yeah. to the confidence that we have and that episode made me really emotional because I think that I knew that they were going to break up, but I think yeah. that for such a long period of time, he really like held on as if he really, you know, he seemed like he really loves her. And I think he did love her. Oh yeah, I he think did. The minute that she took him to the ball was a bad idea because I think it spoke to the fact that like, I think it showed how different they, they should have had, but, and they think that they should have had different spaces. Like if I was dating a white guy, there are certain culturally authentic spaces, like the conversation that you and, and I cookout. have right now in the cookout that I don't want him to come to the cookout. And to a certain extent, um, and tell me what you think about this, I think when we date those types of dudes, like she was a trans woman, she sure. was in the underground queer black scene, yeah. and he didn't have he didn't have a reason to Point be in that scene. No. He didn't have the cultural competency to be there. He didn't have the struggle that would re- that would require him to be able to mm-hmm. perform in those spaces. And I think sometimes when we find that interracial love, it's because I, I look at the white guy that is in, that is into me and. He and I can go out for ice cream and it can just be a break from all the stuff that you and I sure, are dealing sure. with, the things that you and I are talking about. But when we go out for ice cream, let's not forget that he can actually just go out for ice cream. When I'm out for ice cream with him, I'm thinking about how are people staring at us? What mm-hmm. are people perceiving interracial couples to look like? Like people think that we're such we're so past that, but we're not. You know what I mean? Like I've dated white get with white guys, and like there are these things that come up where mm-hmm. it's like you just will never know what it is like to live in this body. And I don't think that you have to know that in order to love me. And so that scene was really powerful for me because I feel like he just, she put in so much effort into taking him into her life, into yeah. those spaces. And teaching, which is teaching, a whole thing. Like, I don't need to be teaching you. For him to just be like, this is overwhelming and I'm no longer going to be a tourist and I'm just going to go back home yeah. to my white heteronormative space. Sure. So that was, yeah, that, I thought that scene was rough. It was, it was rough, but also he even admitted it. Like he admits while they're sitting at the restaurant being like, I'm nothing. Like I am, I have no, I have no experience to speak of. I'm just normal in my life. Like, you know, and it's. Do you think that their relationship, if that scene didn't happen, do you think that their relationship, knowing his cultural, his lack of cultural experiences and her struggle that has led to her rich cultural experiences, Mm -hmm. do you think that, that a relationship like that can last? No, I don't think that, especially that particular one, that it was too extreme, way too many extremes. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I do think interracial relationships can last. I, I think, think work. different people from different classes can date. I think people from different experiences can date. It's just about you guys have to find a some point of mutual understanding. And sometimes that can be very, very difficult if one person just cannot tap into that other person's experience. And, you know, I was, I was having this conversation with Nick, uh, hashtag friends, friends plus, plus. <laughs> <laughs> the other day. And one of the things that he mentioned that I thought was actually important was he talked about control, that white people have this need to always be in control. And so sometimes when you're dating someone that doesn't have, sometimes when you're dating someone who has a different cultural experience than you have, so i.e. a black person who's in the underground Mm-hmm, uh, ball mm-hmm. scene 
there is this need for white folks to feel like they like they they need to learn it. I wanna I wanna experience it. I wanna feel it. Mm-hmm. It's like you will never experience my black life in the way that I live. Ever. It. And so you can support it. You can donate to the ball. You can drop me off at the ball. You can help get my fabrics and help me sew. But you don't need to come to the performance. And if you do come to the performance, sit on the side. Sit you know? in the corner. Yeah. And shut up. Nick this came is... to my film um, screening of Don't Touch My Hair and. Yes, honey. He sat in the back. He was social. He did have some food. You know, it was it was so it was soul food. He had some food, but he didn't ask a question. Because if he asked a question, I was like, "Excuse me, you don't come here and ask." But this is a black space, and you are a visitor. You're a visitor. Yes, and just because you and I are going, save your questions for when we're we're alone. when we're home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. And, and I think that that I think that that's important. Is that just because you're sleeping with me doesn't mean that you can't be an ally. Yeah. And practice totally. ally shit. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And I. I think that like that is such a rich conversation. That's why the show is so powerful because um, that show and I think Insecure really bring in um, these kind of uh, moments that we definitely have have experienced. When um, when have you kind of experienced? Like, have you dated a guy that you feel like you're just like, look, honey, we're too extreme. Mm. <laughs> I, not dated like formal, you know. Yeah. Dated you're capital dating. D, but uh, I have you know, hooked up or had sort of like ongoing uh, relations, co- ongoing coitus with, <laughs> with <laughs> relations, with uh, relations with people who I'm just like, oh my God, when we go to dinner, there's like, what are we even going to talk about? Oh yeah, the typical New York things. How's your apartment going? How's work going? And then we talk about work for an hour and how annoying it is. And then we talk about what we did over the weekend. Then thank God desserts, desserts here and we're done because like we can't talk about anything deep because our experiences are just so different. Um, and it's just like, let's just have sex because that's where we can, that's where we can really connect. investigate and connect um, on a more physical level instead of sitting there trying to use words to try and meet meet each other at a place that doesn't exist like it just it just doesn't like you just you don't have my experience and I'm not this is not a guided tour of the African American National (laughs) History Museum I am not here to explain all of this shit to you like I'm just not yeah you're just gonna have to get it you have to meet me where I am I I can meet you where you are because there's not much there and it's not just a white thing it's also just dating men that are at different journeys. At journeys and their queerness. queerness. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the other thing. I'm like not a gonna, guy who wants to wear the high heels but just can't, can't get do it. to do it. And you're like, well, that doesn't well, mean that I'm not gonna I'm, do it. Girl, because I'm I am at a six inch now. Okay. I know how to rock a stiletto. <laughs> no, it's true. It's very hard. It's I but think. that's I mean that exists at all intersections of um intersections of uh of identity. Mm-hmm. It's you can't you can't if you meet a black person tomorrow who has not fully realized their black per- their blackness I can't take that on, boo. I just can't bring it on. Three three cultural texts from pop culture that would be required readings Four. for a man that you that you get married to. Whether he's white, black, whatever. So for me, one, co- is, one is pose for me. Wait, you said black pop culture references or mm-hmm. black texts? Uh, black pop, black. Uh, so give me three pop culture. Sorry, let me yeah. start over. Editor, start over. <laughs> three pop culture references that would be required readings a short required readings for anyone that you are going to be with long sample time. the color purple yes if you don't know the color purple you don't know me the color purple uh and that would be <laughs> you and me, me must never pop. <laughs> that would be the book 
the movie and the Broadway musical. They need to watch all three? All three. Okay. I am the color purple. Come bitch. on, I am here. You are multi-modal, honey. <laughs> okay, so then um So the color purple are all its forms. The color purple. The Velvet Rage, written by Alan Downs. Okay, it's just a phenomenal um queer book that came out in like the early two thousands. He was on Oprah. It's about this um white PhD gay guy who survived the AIDS epidemic and survived like partying and being addicted to meth and all that. Um, but he really gives a very detailed and raw um, account of what it means and meant, what it meant and what it means to be a gay man in New York. Um, and though his experience and his lens is very white male cisgendered, yeah, at the time, that was the only narrative that anybody knew told, about. Yeah. So I'm happy that he, he got an Oprah. His book is a bestseller. And it was one of the first books that I read. I read it when I was like 14, 15. I had no, I'm like, what's meth? What's like a circuit party? What's like a, you know, <laughs> what are all these things? Now I know all of those things. But my point, then he gave me, he, that book gave me a better understanding of what it might be to be a gay man yeah. in New York. So I just, if a person hasn't read that, they can't be with me. Like they need to read that book. Okay. And then a um, a third one would be Paris is Burning. Yeah, not a that's you know that's a documentary well. that actually probably docu- um sorry Paris is Burning should have been my number one the color purple number number two and then the Velvet Rage number three but Paris is Burning like you can't even be my friend you can't <laughs> even be my friend if you if you're a gay man I'll give some leniencies to like females and straight people blah 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 but like if you're a gay man I don't consider you a fully realized gay man until you have watched Paris is Burning because that is a influential transformative piece of art i mean and it and so many people's legacies live on because of that movie and it's like you have to you can't say that you're part of the movement or that you're queer or that you're an ally or whatever unless you know your history and paris is burning really lays it out for you but it also gets at the root of um blackness and queerness and the struggles that those people overcame to literally be famous i mean here we are in you know decades later still talking about them and pose wouldn't exist without paris is burning voguing there's this whole rich culture of black queerness that started with those house mothers and those um those legendary queens and, and we just owe mothers, everything those we house mothers were, re- were revolutionary because they revolution, were yeah. building resources for kids to they go were the streets. which is something that we need to understand women, a majority of them. yeah and i just think that we don't give an our community doesn't give enough credit to trans women moms. of colors trans women of color and it's just a total travesty and unacceptable and i paris is burning i'm just it's just a really monumental a piece of work and i'm so happy that it exists in that networks like netflix and you know um have it in that youtube allows its full full thing to be there i mean yes yeah. yes you're getting woke you got your three texts write them down Honey, your, if, you, your... if you want me color purple paris is burning <laughs> yeah. and the velvet rage do you let them know you have do they have to watch it all in one sitting no no, no i'll let them I'll, like, I'll, I'll let them give a little break because they're all like very um, moving and emotional pieces. Yes, that's that's Kadeem's required text for getting any of the bootay. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about like, so a lot of my work focuses on uh, Black dimensionality, which is like this kind of intersecting Blackness mm-hmm. and queerness, so not separating it out, right? And um, how facets of Black dimensionality, so a diverse, fluid Blackness, sure. um, connects to Afrofuturism in the, in the ways that when people, when a young kid sees something, someone like you, not something. 
Yes. When a young kid, when that kid who, you know, was at DragCon saw you, you are an example of the future and the present. You inspire them to take an alternative route to getting to their future. And so for me, I'm kind of calling that your Afrofuturism in real time, in a way. You're giving them an opportunity to see a different dream, an alternative way of living. Because as queer people, we are often pushed to the margins. And that is not to say that we, when we get pushed to the margins of society, we sometimes learn how to thrive and create and elevate in different and ways. And get back to the center, darling. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. You tried it. <laughs> so tell me, like, close your eyes, think for, like, 30 seconds, and, like, tell us what is your, like, Black boy joy dream, like, Kadeem unchained like what is the thing that like that you you know that you just feel like you're still on your way there but like what is your dream for like the world you can project this to a thousand years forward five years forward like just like what is your dream for the world Mm. that is a tough question um is it is it something that's with your artistry but like you know, what is, you talked a lot about like that kid seeing you and that can enact him to activate his dreams in ways that are not colonized. Sure, sure, that sure. are not colonized, you know? I, mine would be for a future in which uh, little boys, any race, but let's be more specific and say, you know, more specific to my experience. Yeah. Little black boys being able to like actually wear their mom's clothes, their mom's heels. <laughs> Yes. Or hell, not even their moms. Like, have their moms take them to the girl section yeah. and buy heels or whatever. Or uh, even better future would be if there weren't girls and boys sections. If it was just like, this is the kid section. And Do because you you're will. this size, you know, little boys should be able to wear pink. They should be able to wear uh, flats, sneakers, boots, heels. Not kitten heels. Kind, except kitten heels. Kitten heels need to be banished. Die. Oh, God, the worst. Like, those need to exist in the past, not the future. But um, <laughs> no matter what, you shouldn't be wearing kitten heels. No, no, no. But really, I, when you asked me to close my eyes, I actually did. And I really just thought about my younger self walking around in my mom's shoes and, like, that being, like, taboo if my parents saw me. But, like, that shouldn't be taboo. It should be totally fine. It should be whatever. So actually, in the future where men can really, black men in particular, can form their gender identity sh- through a fluid, a more fluid understanding. And if that, if you lean more feminine, then go for it. And like, who's to say that wearing heels is feminine? That's a whole. That's gender and sexuality are, are all constructs. Yeah. So I would like us to just break out of that, break out of the binary understanding of gender and sexuality and race. Even like it just you just I just need little kids to be able to be. You know, everybody has that, like, creative, fun self that, like, believes in the Easter Bunny and Santa and, like, colors outside of the lines and, you know, gets themselves dressed for school in mixed mass socks and Velcro shoes and, like, the weirdest shit. Like, let your kids be weird. And then I, I want that weird kid to be weird when they get to college. Like, why can't we, why we all, we always get so, um, we get pushed into our into our narratives and our stories and like oh no you go that way oh no you go that way oh you're gonna be this you're gonna be a star football player you're gonna be an artist you're gonna be a singer why can't you be a football player no why honey why can't i just letting kids really explore and be their most authentic selves especially black you know there's a store in richmond that is uh it's a black owned uh kids and kids clothing shop one of the things they did that i thought was really cool and i think it's happening kind of circulating in various um library spaces and stores around the country Doing the um, oh, drag yeah. uh, reading stories, yes, yeah. coming into libraries and stuff. And there have definitely been some pushback on it. But I find it to be 
It's amazing. You know, yeah, it, it's so revolutionary, but it's also just like so simple. You know, it's like literally a man. Yeah. In a wig. Yeah. Reading a book. Yeah, and it's just it breaks this like mythical norm that we have of like what gender should be, and I think drag is such a beautiful form of artistry that's steeped in self-expression and also paying homage to womanhood, mm -hmm. to womanhood as an art form, right? Absolutely. And so I think that it's it's a really dope concept, but it's so simple. We know that kids want to hear children's books, and like instead of you know having a deep value of boring, you know, Mrs. <laughs> Sally Fields, why can't you why can't it be drag? a fierce drag queen? Yeah. No, yeah. Um, I think that it's a very simple concept, but it's just, it can circulate so effectively. Absolutely. And you'll definitely see little kids who it just opens up their, opens up their imagination in the world. That's the word I was looking for earlier is imagination. Like yeah. just letting kids' imagination flow. And if it's not doing anything to harm someone, let it ride. Like, so you're saying that your, your Afrofuture Black Boy Dream is really talking about decolonizing the Black Boy imagination. Absolutely. Yeah. Giving them more space yes. to to dream and be because we are as boy as boys and men we are taught to be so many things and it's just so toxic the way you talk about the Ever. the mom's heels you know that you know what it was for me it was um the, the dvds i used to have the tlc concert dvd the destiny's child concert <laughs> dvd and the spice girls concert dvd when everybody was at work we had a big you know the old big uh, TV. oh honey that big one honey, that took up half your living I room i performed that whole set i had costume changes i used to put the costume changes in the bathroom and run in the bathroom between songs yeah. and change yeah and do the shorts and the in the shoes and i had the remote controls and i would talk to my yeah. audience like those the when I was growing up, it was really the black female band. So sure. Scary Spice and Spice Spice Girls yeah. and her yeah. her quirky, weird, queer blackness, mm -hmm. right? And then Destiny's Child was like three very, very different black women. Yeah. Some as some less stable than Ooh, others. Michelle. <laughs> Poor Michelle. But Michelle also had this like religious tie. Like mm -hmm. she was Michelle was very multidimensional when that, when you talk about black dimensionality. Truly. Because she had a, she was very steeped in her religious values, her beliefs, but then she would shake something with Destiny's Child. So I like that she was People don't give her credit for how like multi. No, she had a number she one, number one, number one gospel, gospel album, but and still was, wasn't Destiny's Child. And as I say, I was I was always so inspired by these black women that just unapologetically, like yes, Michelle fell a few times, but <laughs> they were unapologetically doing it all. More they than a few. Doing, <laughs> they were doing oh, it all. More than a few yeah. times. And T Boz, I you know, you oh, had Left Eye, who was like yeah. very queer, eccentric. Totally, she was queer, queer funky, yeah, yeah. and then you had T Boz, who was like this very like. I am black woman. Yeah. Snap, snap. You know? Yeah. And then you had Chili who was more soft spoken, yeah. but very sensual. But was yeah. very athletic and sensual. So these like dimensional um sure. identities within black womanhood is really what inspired my queerness. And seeing them together as a collective, like seeing Destiny Child speak in an interview, it was like who's who did you, you look mean, at? You mean Beyonce speaking in an interview? <laughs> No, I totally agree, and I think that if we gave we black boys black boys the opportunity, the same opportunities that. we give black women or women in general, yeah, to explore. Like, Amen. remember when we were growing up, it was totally fine for your gay, uh, your lesbian cousin to be a tomboy, but it wasn't fine for us to be flamboyant and young, like mm -hmm. you know. And that's that's so rich. that's annoying. That's so true in black spaces. That's what I mean. Especially. Yeah, in black spaces, yeah. tomboys are totally accepted, but. You named the last time someone championed a Tom girl or even used that word. Yeah. Like, oh, no. we Oh, no. She just plays basketball. She just likes roughing around with the boys. That's totally fine. But then when a girl, when a boy wants to go hang out with the girls and play Barbies, all of a sudden it's World War Three. Oh, my God. I can't believe my little black son doesn't want to play football. Yeah. Well, that's very true. Yeah. That's true. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're, you know, I, I love, um, that's one of my favorite questions, just like asking 
black queer men who I think are, are doing it, who I have a lot of respect yeah. for, like, where, where, what are your dreams? And like, how is the work that you're doing helping enact those mm-hmm. dreams? And I think, I don't know if you want kids or not, but I think you being involved with children in some capacity sure. is a way to kind of decolonize that black Sure, sure, sure. But you make a good point. I mean, I would love to see, we need, we need a queer black male, like, Bam! Like a black Destiny's Child, where yes. they're all different. That would be so in heels. Cool. Yeah, I would love to. That would be to see that. Who was the artist that like had men dancing in high heels? Jonte. Who was that? Jonte. Okay. Well, you mean was he more mainstream? I think he was more. Ma- no, there was a video by a, a female like Madonna or someone. They had the men dancing in heels, the black men dancing in heels. I don't remember what example it's from. Oh my god, I it's am like, like right. There. Yeah, I just don't remember. it wasn't Beyonce. I want to say. Um, I think it was Madonna. Well, no, she had Vogue, but they weren't in heels. Okay. Um, I know what you're talking about. It exists. Yeah. It's more common now. It than definitely yeah. exists. Yes. You get anything on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> There's this magazine that wants me to be in it, but they're asking me to... Well, they actually gave us a really good opportunity where we'd be in an article during the holidays, but yeah. I have to pay them $400. I'm like, um, well, it's a gift guide. Being in a gift guide, going to the holidays in a gay magazine would be great. Come on, people still read gift guides? It's an online publication. Oh, okay. Yeah. They have a physical, but they also have online. All right. So we are recording. Um, one of the other segments that I wanted to do with you, all these are kind of like inaugural segments. Okay. So set in the framework for the show. <laughs> Wig Snatcher of the Month. Okay. okay. And since we are in your New York City apartment, and I can see the skyline of New York in my background, and we're not too far from the Bronx, it's that way. It's that way. Or yeah. that way. Okay. It's that way. And, you know, Cardi B. <laughs> Cardi B on the track. <laughs> I have to say the wig snatcher of the month is a dun 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 sound effect, please. <laughs> Cardi B. Cardi B. <laughs> okay, the new money song. Have you heard it? I have heard it. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with the um, walk past the mirror. Ooh, <laughs> damn, I'm fine. I mean, let a bitch try me. Am <laughs> <Have> a time? <laughs> Because the song just came out, I think, last Monday, we are awarding the Wig Snatcher of the Month to Cardi B. She does always have on a good wig. I really want to know what her real hair looks like. Oh, yeah, she does have. Well, she shows her, she shows her real hair sometimes. I think the... Um, She's a little braid bright straight back. I think for the for the theme of this episode, even for our friendship and for the type mm-hmm. of work that we do, I think Cardi B is a good Wig Snatcher of the Month because she is just, in my mind, such a rejecter of respectability politics. Absolutely. She has really come up I'm not going to say she's come up on her own. We know that some of it is definitely planned and it's branding because everybody's, you know, tapped into that. But I just think that the way that she really gives you Cardi B, I think is something that I want my daughter, if I have mm-hmm. one one day and my son to learn from. So it's strippers. Like, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. It's like whether you agree or disagree with her artistry, she's one of the first celebrities that comes up from an alternative space that's on the margins, like mm-hmm. sex workers or stripping and all that stuff. And she's not what appears to be ashamed of it at all no you know and i i thought it was mis- i thought it was so i thought it was so hypocritical when she threw the shoe at nikki and people called her hood rat and ghetto and it's like cardi b if she has done anything right she has told y'all exactly who she was yeah from, from the, the get-go yeah and so she's our wig snatcher of the month honey because yes well you you know Actually, she's the wig snatcher of the year. <laughs> she, this is the year of receipts and Cardi B. Yeah, like receipts and Cardi B, um, is how I would describe twenty eighteen. She truly is. Uh, she's everything 
that all of us want to be. Like we wish that we could wake up just be and us. be us. No makeup on Instagram with, with three million followers. Just <laughs> being ratchet and just being like I feel like Cardi B wakes up and does not call her PR manager. <laughs> She doesn't, doesn't maybe have a couple missed calls. From she, she doesn't call. She doesn't call Jill and is like, "Honey, should I do this?" Because Jill would be like, uh, "No, you shouldn't." She yeah. just doesn't, and she doesn't apologize. And really, outside of everything that you just said, which you're totally spot on with, is that she doesn't apologize. She doesn't apologize. She gives no fucks. Like she literally zero fucks have been given throughout this year because of Cardi B. Yeah. And we all wish that we could live our lives that way. And whether you're a fan or not, right? Like, I think that that is actually irrelevant. I think that it's a good example for young girls. It is. Because women are so conditioned to think that they have to behave, dress, wear certain things so you don't get hit on. Like, women are told to, like, constantly be followers of respectability politics. And I think that we need a mainstream example of a woman that is like, fuck, all of that. <laughs> I totally agree with you. I think there you. are a lot of men who thrive at being like that and people praise them for being strong and, you know, assertive. Mm-hmm. And women are called bitches when they just say, no, I was a stripper. Yep. And I made $400,000 a year as being a stripper. And okay. I paid my son's tuition. Okay, Nene Leakes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> no, Nene, really. Yeah, Nene and Cardi B, actually. But I. Nene is sort of a blueprint for Cardi B. She's just not a, a singer or rapper, or, yeah. nor did she come from what we would. But Nene got famous being Nene. Nene. And Cardi B is becoming, has is famous because she has been authentic mm-hmm. and real from the from the beginning. What do you think, especially you living in New York and probably seeing a lot more famous people than I have, what do you think uh, the Cardi B's do to the, the definition of fame? How are they changing it? Because, you know, the, the, the fame now is you could DM Cardi B and she pulls up at your school. Like, she could. <laughs> no, I mean, that has happened, that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so my, I mean, she did. Yeah. I, mean, um, I DM I one think of my favorite artists she, she this de- week and she, we met for coffee. Yeah, she she is, de- de- well, okay. How she Actually, you know, what I will say in terms of the... Uh, uh, she hasn't she hasn't done that much to deconstruct fame in terms of accessibility. Yeah. Instagram and Facebook and social media did that. Yeah. She's the one of the first and somebody who's thriving by utilizing that. Like she really connects to her fans by literally responding to people's messages. Mm-hmm. Like that's a direct connection. Cardi B responding to your DM is basically like texting a friend. <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, you yeah. could. I mean, I've texted people on through their DMs and they sent me their phone number and they'd be like, oh, texting is easier. I'm like are you kidding me? I've been following you for two years and you just want me to text you? Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, happily. And then you like, whatever. But so I'm not going to give her credit for breaking yeah. it down. I'm going to give her credit for utilizing, utilizing it, it as, to, a tool. as a tool to connect with her fans. And But then it, it just goes with her, her entire brand, which is I'm just a girl from around the block. Mm-hmm. I really am. I mean, Cardi B still has a place in the Bronx. <laughs> she, as we were discussing with one of our friends earlier, I'm sure she has a, you know, nice little penthouse in Tribeca as well. Yeah. Or hell, maybe she, I mean, who knows with Cardi B, honestly. She yeah. probably just still lives in the Bronx. But the point is that she just keeps it real. Yeah. And that's something that I think. It's a breath of fresh air for it so many really is. I feel like we have to code switch. Yeah. Or are which, yeah. And I mean, if you really go and look through some of her interviews, she does have the capability of code switching, which I don't think she gets credit for sometimes because everyone's like, oh, she's so, so ratchet. Da, da, da. Like, no, but she does know how to carry herself. Mm-hmm. And she's actually edu- like educated mm-hmm. and went to college and will read you for filth articulately. Mm-hmm. And then 
also cuts you the fuck out, you know? You know, I was, I took which is a great thing. I took students to see, um, Jelani, I might be saying her name, her, their name wrong, but I took students to see Johnny Ken, who is the founder, co-founder of Black Lives Matter Canada. And on the way back, we went to this intellectual talk by, at University of Richmond. On the way back, we blasted Cardi B and the students, one of the students was saying that he loves um, how much rage is in her songs. Oof. Because she's really, you know, in, in Get Up 10, which is my favorite yes. one, she talks about like, I waited my whole life just to shit on niggas, climb to the top so I can spit on niggas. Yeah. And the thing is, is like she speaks, she speaks like truth to that rage that we feel as people of color, as queer folks, as folks that have been pushed to the margins where, like you said earlier in your interview, like we have to work twice as hard and then you get there and you have to deal with white New York. City. Yeah. And so I think that that rage that she has in her raps, for me, it just speaks to like, there is a sense of like, I'm here now and I'm going to cuss all oh, y'all out. out because y'all, you tried to keep me. You yeah, tried to keep me she down. Was, she was two years ago. She said she was uh, making sandwiches at a Jewish, at a Jewish restaurant. She like, was. That's the thing that it's like, you know, you, especially when you're doing that and you know that you have the capability to be a fashion designer and have your own brand, you know that you have the capability to get a PhD, but you have to sometimes suffer in these spaces. Like, that's what I think she speaks. She speaks life to that. Uh, like, totally. That rage that we have where we're like, damn, I don't belong here. And now that I'm here using my talents, you're all treating me this way. Like, <laughs> so that's not. Yeah. And that's totally. And that is what I think is going to resonate with young people. Young black, it does. It does. What I will say though is that I want. Um, I'm all for all the people that she's inspiring. I just want to make sure that those people sort of have. Uh, they know how to channel their rage, and they they have a blueprint or some understanding about how to get to where it is they yeah. need to get. Or because, use the rage in your art form. Yeah, exactly. Put your rage um, and put your struggle to a good use yeah. and um yeah so that's something that's true. um no but I, I i totally agree with you that she she just speaks the truth and honestly like her her upbringing is not a truth that i'll ever be able to understand yeah but i can still meet her somewhere yeah and i and i think what is fascinating too is that like the way that i'm reading it is like she's got this range this like kind of vengefulness in her raps that makes it sound so powerful I saw an interview with her where she was saying the reason why she speaks so like clearly and enunciates so on her rap is because she wasn't confident about the language barrier. Yeah. And she wanted to make sure that people can hear her. Yeah. And so she said that she didn't want to sound like, you know, someone who speaks English as a second language mm-hmm. on her rap. She wanted to let you know, like, I can speak. Yeah. And so that was why she enunciates so strongly. So I find it so fascinating that like you can interpret someone's maybe insecurity as sure. something that like inspires yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. which is really cool i do think at the core she's a very interesting artist to look at as a cultural i totally cultural agree with text. you yeah so wig snatcher of the year honey goes to cardi, cardi b. b keep living it sis keep doing it i i love money i mean invasion of privacy mm-hmm. i mean i love money i love money too <laughs> yeah, oh you made the single oh you made the single got it got it got it we can't take donations for black money <laughs> <laughs> In Virginia, New York is taking donations for Live Out Loud. Venmo, Cash App, <laughs> Honey, PayPal. But I do, um, I love Money, the new single, and I love um, the Invasion of Privacy album. That is definitely kind of like my my hype. And it's a, it's a, it gives me that cultural switch, like being in academia and blasting Cardi B in my office at Virginia Commonwealth yep. University, right? Like With the door open. With bitch. the door Fuck open. all y'all. Yeah. <laughs> and you will call me Dr. Chaz. <laughs> Dr. Barrett's if it's Monday, darling. 
No, but it's true. Like because we have to. I feel like it, it helps us to infiltrate those spaces and not feel like I need to be in my office blasting, you know, classical opera. Like no, I, I mean I do like a classical moment myself, but, <laughs> but I'm writing my dissertation to Cardi B. I do. Yeah. Okay. Hello. It's no, I mean I um one thing to bring it back to something I was saying earlier about work is that like I purposely don't listen. I don't use headphones at work. Like I just don't, and I, but I listen to music at work because Does I say anything? no, of course not. They're scared of me, but I but I I told them when I started like I really like music, and I in order for me to do creative stuff, yeah, I have to have music playing, and I'll play it low, but I don't. If I put headphones in, I'm not going to hear y'all, and I'm not I'm not here if I have my head if I if I'm closed off. So they all put headphones on. And I play my Anita Baker, my Aretha, my Prince, my Cardi B, my Remy Ma. Yes, like some Remy. days I will go from. Remember we were at a white, we were, at, we were talking to some white boy today. He was like, I'm a big fan of Remy Ma. And, and we were like, like, you mean you know the song Conceited? <laughs> Do you really know Remy though? And he's like, she had other songs. I'm like, yeah. Um, Do you ever feel obligated to, um, what is the responsibility that you feel to explain these cultural moments? Like when, you know, like when a black, like for me right now, I have hair extensions mm-hmm. in and black people are like, not, I mean, black people are like, oh, very hair looks cute. Mm-hmm. But white guys have questions about my hair. And I'm just like, I don't want to explain that. Like, do you feel the obligation to be like, this is why I listen to these radical black artists? I don't explain anything. Yeah. <laughs> if they ask, I'll happily explain. And I, I mean, listen, I have one playlist that I play often at work with like brand. It's a very like, uh, digestible, <laughs> digestible, digestible 90s R&B. Polished blood. I mean, no, it's 90s R&B. Everybody, uh, everyone relates to that. 90s who, R&B who doesn't know Brandy? Like, I mean, even at my white, at, at the very white office that I work they with, know Brandy. if Brandy comes on, they're like, oh, that's a good song. Hannah, I was playing Nivea the other day and they're like, my la- at the laundromat. And I was like, you know, don't mess with my man. Wait a minute. <laughs> don't mess with I mean, really, my, like, very, very white Harvard-educated boss was singing uh, Don't Mess With My Man with me. He was aren't like, that's a, a big, good song. Aren't you a big Jasmine Sullivan fan? A huge. I play her all the time, yes. too. Yes. She's from... Bust the window... Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Bust the windows I just... I mean, you know, they... And they like those people, again, going back to our post-conversation, they like accessing our culture somehow. Mm-hmm. And music has been always been the easiest way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I know that song. I know that artist. Is that Beyonce? No, it's Mary J. Blige, bitch. Um, <laughs> I no, but it's good. No, but I don't I don't feel the need. I mean, one time I did wear hair extensions to work, and they were like, how did your hair grow that fast? I was like, okay, let me just break this down for y'all real quick. <laughs> it didn't grow. You haven't asked me that. It didn't grow. I went to a store. I bought the hair. Then I sat down in a lady's chair, and she braided it into my hair. That's how, yeah. Duh. You wouldn't ask a woman that question. No. I think men with weave is cute. I agree. I, I like love, a I love a weave. I like men that can change it up. Honey, I'm bald right now, but I would happily wear a lace front tomorrow. <laughs> and you know, I like, actually, I have to say, having hair extensions has been very therapeutic for me because I love my, shout out to Tamika who does my hair. Because mm-hmm. I just like the, you know, she comes over to my house, we brush yes. the hair out, we wet it's, it, oh, we God. moisturize my scalp, like, I love the process of getting your hair done. And well, it's hair. a very black thing. It's a very black thing. And we talk, you know, we, we talk shit. We serve tea. Like, she comes over for probably three hours once every two months. And I just, I really like the experience. And I do feel like, wow, like, I'm, I was missing out on that. Like, going to the black barbershop. Well, because you never had your mama do your hair. Like, no. you never, your mama never put your, put no. your weave in. <laughs> Send you off to fifth grade. And going to the black barbershop, they were always just talking about sports and <laughs> women. And so I never really had that experience, that cultural experience where, like, hair is this apparatus of just like black bonding you know it is but that's how like seek i mean that is i feel like black hair care is the whole reason why we have like a 
a cultural history from Black women. They've been getting their hair done by wise women who have spilled all of the tea. <laughs> I mean, going to a Black hair salon, even a Black barbershop, even though for us it's been a little, it's it different. can be weird because, you know, guys Our- are talking about a bunch of bullshit. But for a straight Black guy, that's probably extremely therapeutic too. Mm-hmm. And they hear about who's the best football player or how this is how you get a lineup or this is when you should start having sex and this is how you should do it, all that stuff. Maybe it's great for them. For me, honey, I was like, you want me to do what? Like that didn't make sense for me. But (laughs) when I went to, with my mom for her to get her hair done, I was sitting there like sipping off. What did LaQuisha do last weekend? (laughs) Wait a minute. What did sister Mary? Oh my God. I cannot. Oh my goodness. God, I cannot believe that. (laughs) What? Oh, Oh, Ooh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because Yolanda just said that, um, Shamika was sleeping with Angela's <laughs> husband, but isn't that Angela over there? Oh, honey, I used to love piecing together gossip at the salon. Oh my goodness! And you know, like black moms, they take the when the first time they take their daughter to get the first perm or get the first blowout or or you know get the first cornrows. That's when that that black girl steps into her her blackness in some way. Mm-hmm. She learns all of the things mm-hmm. that have been handed down from generation to Come generation. Come on, this history lesson. Bitch, yes, honey. <laughs> they need to get into it. I love it. <laughs> Black hair care is everything, honey. You better put your, put, your, put your weave in and keep it present on. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to thank you so much for coming on the show. This was dope. I'm glad that we got to give our audience a little little inside tea to what our friendship looks uh-huh. like on a daily basis. This is our typical conversations. And yes, we both have this much energy with each other all, all the time. The time. <laughs> Even when we fight, you bitch. <laughs> you black bitch. <laughs> and I just want to give you a, you know, an image. So Katina's is hella Jamaican. He's sitting <laughs> in his New York apartment right now with obviously no lights on, no face on. Um, you know, some night nightgown wear. <laughs> and no lights in the apartment are on. By nighty. The size is in his bedroom and everything is just shut down. And I think he, and it's, you know, Jamaicans, we do not leave the house on a Sunday. We do not leave for anything. Mm-mm. You find a nigga that will bring you some food for lunch and for dinner. <laughs> you meet him at the door because you're not in the mood for anything to happen. That Thank is a, you. This is a Jamaican household. Sundays is the so day Jamaican. of rest. Yeah. If you go to church, you come home and you take off the ponytail. Honey, throw it down. Throw it down. And just go to sleep. <laughs> Nap time. Sorry. For see y'all. For the longest time I have known you, even when we have traveled together, you when you are home, honey. I, I rest. <laughs> I rest at home. Turn honey. Off, you, the, the, the curtains are closed. You are a hermit. The door is closed. <laughs> If you want to comment or send us some tea or a response to anything that we talked about today, you can um, send me a message at I am my life uh, underscore Chaz on Instagram, uh, CHZ underscore PhD on Twitter. Um, send us a DM, a text, a message, an email to come on the show. If you want to reach out to Kadeem, how can people contact you? How can they reach out to you? Do you want them to have your personal information? I can give them my Instagram. <laughs> send us a DM. Do we reply to DMs? I do. If there's a dick pic, it'll get expedited quicker. <laughs> oh, honey, if you send a dick pic, send it to my number. Seven, one, no, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, but if you want to um, reach me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at K underscore Alfonso. That's K underscore A-L-P-H-A-N-S-O. And then again, if you want to follow my brand, that's M-U-X-E-M-E-W. Yeah. <laughs>
Hey Black Matter Podcast, this is Kadima Fonza, founder, owner, and creative director of Mujay New York. That's M-U-X-E, New York. Please visit our website at Mujay New York, M-U-X-E, New York.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram with that same spelling, Mujay New York. And then you can find us on Facebook, M-U-X-E-N-Y. We're a gender-fluid streetwear brand of fabulous unisex pieces. And a portion of our proceeds go to Live Out Loud, which is the LGBT youth organization here in New York. So for all of you Black queens, listen to this podcast. We want to continue to push boundaries and achieve those Black boy joy dreams. Make sure you go to our website and cop yourself a moment, honey.